Uh, Father, we do thank you for those very things, your faithfulness, your activity uh, on our behalf and in our midst. Uh, We don't take that for granted um, as we come out of the busyness of Christmas, uh, a lot of time with family and a lot of uh, activities and responsibilities to take care of. And we also don't take for granted that uh, what Christmas is about, as Jeff reminded us of the Christmas Eve service, uh, is the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, I want to dovetail on that this morning, uh, so I pray that you would be with us, be here present in this place, uh, in, the, in the preaching of your word, in the consideration of your scriptures, uh, in the fellowship of the believers, um, and in the singing of songs, which we'll have another opportunity to do at the end. Father God, again, we thank you for your activity and your faithfulness uh, in our midst and our, on our behalf, which ultimately we see in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Uh, so it's in his name we pray. Amen. Now, I was going to come out of that amen uh, and blast right into a rap music video. That's not a joke. I'm still going to do that. But I figured I needed to give y'all a a preface uh, to say, hey, I'm about to play a rap music video. And the reason that I'm doing that is because today we're talking about perspective. Uh, So we're going to listen to a song titled Perspective uh, by a rapper from Columbus, Ohio. His name is Blueprint. Um, And I realize this might not be y'all's forte. So what I'm asking you to do is bear with me and really pay attention to what he has to say. Uh, The beat is going to be knocking and the rhymes are dope. But what I need you to do is pay attention to what he says. So go ahead and run that video. Kids gunned down in Sandy Hook. A black teenager is murdered over skin color. It feel like the chaos is everywhere you look. 30 Afghans killed at a family wedding. 60 Iraqi killed trying to vote. A woman gets gang raped out in India. Five kids' lives get ended by a drone. I don't care if you're living in a high rise. You're no different from a man in a hut. Every single life is sacred in God's eyes. You ain't worth more because you got more stuff. I don't care what the color of your skin is. I don't care about your fortune or fame. I just want for us to have more perspective and understanding everybody's pain is the same. Perspective. Bird's eye view. It's beautiful up here. Understanding and empathy for all others. Appreciation as a half for the have-nots. Recognizing people's worth is decided by the content of the character and not what they got. I get upset because it seems so hard for us. When we lie to ourselves, we sound so crazy. We tell ourselves that they don't work as hard as us. They could be like us if they just were lazy. I think it's just an excuse. That allows us to treat them as less human Cause once we begin to take it as the truth It justifies all the evil things that we do to them Some people work hard and barely scrape by Others work hard and end up rich 
It doesn't mean you shouldn't celebrate success, but understand the systematic hurdles that exist. Perspectives. Bird's eye view. Beautiful up here. Might shed a tear. A man with no shoes stands on a corner, sad about his circumstance and being on the street. Then realized that it wasn't that bad when he was joined by another man that had no feet. A woman makes a post on Facebook about how she and her brother got beef. Unaware, it was read by a friend of hers whose own brother passed away just last week. Boston gets hit by a dirty bomb. A hundred people injured, three people died. Rare for us, but for many, that's the norm. The daily threat of an attack is part of their lives. I ain't saying what we feel ain't real, but understand just what it means to be privileged. That's when you ignore the circumstances of those less fortunate than you that you don't have to live in. Perspective. Bird's eye view. It's beautiful up here. Might shed a tear. All right, thank you. Long live hip-hop. That's church right there. Perspective. Bird's eye view. It's beautiful up here. I might shed a tear. Now, I know for many of you, you're in a room full of strangers, uh, but I want to ask for your trust real quick. You guys are probably like, you should have asked me for that before you played the rap video. Uh, But what I want to do on the count of three is have you close your eyes. Again, I realize you're in a room full of strangers, but give me a little bit of trust here. On the count of three, close your eyes. One, two, three. Now, I ask you to close your eyes because I want to ask you a series of questions, and I want you to be able to tune out all other distractions as you concentrate on the answer that's in your mind. You don't have to say anything back. This isn't a pop quiz. I just want you to be able to concentrate on the answer in your mind couple of questions. Here's my first one. What comes to mind when you think about Evansville? Here's my next one. What do you see when you look at our city? What do you see as you drive down the street, walk on the riverfront, grocery shop, read the paper, or local Facebook pages and Twitter accounts? My last one, what do you see as you look in the mirror? Okay, you can open your eyes. Thanks for rocking with me. Again, this morning my my aim is to lead us in gaining some perspective. And I think it's an important time for us to be reminded of perspective and to gain some perspective. About ourselves, about our city, about God, and about what we're doing here at 10 a.m. on the Sunday morning after Christmas. As a heads up, this sermon is stylistically different uh, from how I usually preach. Usually I kind of anchor down in one portion of text and preach more expositionally. Uh, This morning I'm going to be kind of floating around several different scriptures, uh, preaching topically, which I realize can be difficult uh, to follow along with. Uh, So this is a great time for me to remind you that all the scriptures that are popping up on the screen Uh, are on your device right in front of you. If you have the City Church app, you can go ahead and open that up, and there's a sermon notes section. So as I bounce from scripture to scripture, you don't have to feel lost or like you got to keep up with it. All those are right in front of you. Um, And if you want, on the back of your program, there's a place where you can jot down scripture references as well. Take home, study them, make sure that the things that I'm telling you are true. 
Now, many of you know that uh, my wife and I just got back from Hawaii. Jeff has given us a really hard time for being gone. Uh, But Wednesday morning, as we flew in uh, over Los Angeles, um, before the sun was rising on the city, the plane that we had been on uh, crossed over the Pacific. It was a five-hour flight over the Pacific during the middle of the night. Uh, it was a red eye, and I thought that I was really slick when Aaron and I kind of had settled into our, our plane seats, and I said, oh, there's an exit row. Let's go to that exit row. So we settle into the exit row, and other people take our seats, and then we get there, and we got all the leg room in the world, but we realized that the seats were like at a 90-degree angle, and they didn't go back at all. And then we realized that the armrest didn't move at all. Uh, so I kind of was like, man, I just, I just blew it. I thought I was the man, got us the exit row, but then it ended up being really bad. So we couldn't move, uh, we couldn't get comfortable, and the exit door was just freezing. I kind of fought and tried to go to sleep, but I couldn't, uh, so I gave up on it, which I was thankful for, uh, because eventually I saw this kind of distant twinkle come out of nowhere. And that began to grow uh, and, and, and glow a little bit brighter. Then I realized that I saw a coastline forming, and details started to materialize, the grid of city-planned streets, highways buzzing with the flow of white light in one direction and red light in the other direction. As we began our descent into Los Angeles, I saw neighborhoods and houses, schools and businesses and churches, an aerial view, perspective of all of life's details. And I was witnessing this. Uh, I thought it was really like a beautiful, romantic moment, but I looked around, and I was just surrounded by strangers, and they were asleep, and my wife was knocked out on my shoulder. Uh, It was a special moment. Again, it came over me, perspective, and there was a little whisper. Maybe it was my own voice. This is what God always sees. He sees all of this. Not only this small fraction of the city of Los Angeles, but each city. Ours as well. And not only each city, but each person, each human heart, the circumstances of all of us are before the Lord. And not only the humans that are alive now on the earth, but all people ever are before the Lord. There's a proverb that says, and we'll flash it up on the screen here. The eyes of the Lord are everywhere, keeping watch on the wicked and the good. He sees everything. But what's fascinating is that God's all-encompassing, omniscient, omnipresent perspective is matched hand-in-hand by his permanent passion for people. So it's not like he's up there, a, a God far removed in the hills of the woods, on a mountaintop, and he's just checking for us and, you know, making a list, checking it twice kind of God. But he cares for us. He has a permanent passion for people. He keeps a watchful eye on, on us. And it's onto that campus, or I'm sorry, that, that canvas that the familiar Christmas scriptures are splashed onto all of the details of our life, onto all of the complications and the brokenness and the pain of our life comes these words. The angel said to them, the shepherds, do not be afraid. I bring good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah the Lord. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Do you see and hear both the passion and the perspective? Good news, 
great joy for all of the people. Peace to all of the people on whom his favor rests. Is this the perspective that we have that you had when your eyes were closed and I asked you what you saw when you see Evansville? Is that the perspective that we have? When you look at your city, when you cross paths and rub elbows with people, when you look at yourself in the mirror, good news, great joy, all the people on whom the favor of the Lord rests. Because this city uh, and us as a part of this city are included in the all of the people to whom the angels were declaring, again, good news, great joy, and peace on the people on whom the favor of God rests. We are included in that all of the people. Traditionally, the, quote, passion of Christ, end quote, refers to the end of Jesus' life. But it seems that the primary passion of Jesus was his incarnation. Uh, As C.S. Lewis writes, the central miracle asserted by Christians is the incarnation. They say that God became a man. Every other miracle either prepares for this or exhibits this or results from this, which isn't meant to diminish the uh, end of Jesus' life on earth or his death, but to clarify that the most miraculous reality, again, is the incarnation of the Son of God, that God became a man in the baby Jesus because of his motivation, his permanent passion for people. Now this serves not only as a timely reminder for us just a couple of days past Christmas, uh, but also as we are a month of Sundays from moving into our new building. You guys excited about that? You know, I'll tell you who is probably the most excited about it is the volunteers who show up here real early on Sunday morning. I bet y'all are real excited about it. We want to be a church in the city because people are in the city. All of the people. And we want to be a church for the city because God is for people. God is for all of the people. So, what does God's word say about all of the people? I want to draw your attention to three specific insights this morning. So here's the first one. All of the people's souls thirst for God. And that's kind of the first point that you can jot down. And my next few thoughts are under that heading. All of the people's souls thirst for God. The psalmist once wrote that as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. And it's important when we read something like this that we realize it's not just one man's truth. I have so many conversations like that. Well, if that works for you, good for you. Different strokes for different folks. We can't respond to this scripture like, do you, boo-boo, because that's not what this is. This is a foundational truth. It's true for the psalmist, yeah, his soul pants for God, but it's also true of the gal who was working at the gas station that I talked to on the day of Christmas. Her soul thirsts for God. And the dude who delivered pizza to my apartment for the second night in a row, in a row while my stomach was hungering for pizza because all the grocery stores are closed, his soul thirsts for God. And it's true of you, and it's true of me. Our souls thirst for God. God uses the metaphor of thirst all throughout the scriptures to make it clear that this is a basic necessity for the human soul, being satisfied by a union, a fellowship with God. 
Just as you don't have a choice when you're born that you need water to be satisfied to live, so you don't have a choice when you're born about needing union with God. Again, to be satisfied, to live. That's just how we were created. People are thirsty. People are thirsty. Now, if you speak my language and kind of the language of blueprint, then you already dig what I'm saying when I say thirsty. Like thirsty, thirsty, thirst trap, thirsty. That's what people are. It's inherent to us. We need to be satisfied. We long, we groan, we thirst. But only God can provide the longings that we thirst for, the longings of the human soul. For instance, the longing for a sense of significance. And I want you guys to think, does that sound like me? That I matter and that my life has purpose. The longing for the sense of significance. The longing for a sense of connectedness that I know and that I'm known by not only other creatures, but by the creator. The longing for a sense of connectedness. And the longing for unconditional love. That in the reality of being known, that I'm still loved. That love can embrace my shortcomings. And the default setting that it is to be a person where we choose ourselves over other people. That I'm still loved, even though that is a reality. The fact that I personally get super hangry. Y'all know about that hungry, angry? Like, if you want to see me at my worst, catch me when I'm hungry. But that's not my absolute worst. You'd really see me at my worst if you were driving with me, which is why I only let my wife drive with me. Because for some reason, in the left lane, people go the speed limit. And I don't understand that. Because the left lane was made for sensible people like me who use the left lane to speed which is what it was made for. I get so mad. But see, without a personal knowledge of God who revealed himself in the person and the work of Jesus Christ, people will continue into eternity thirsting, never experiencing uh, a sense of purpose, lonely, and never experiencing the unconditional, unmerited love of God in the person of Jesus. People's souls Thirst for God. That's the first point. Yet, and this is the second insight, all people refuse to acknowledge that their thirst can only be satisfied in God. Even if you find yourself as a believer in the Lord Jesus this morning, I wonder if you remember those days that you just railed against God and you thought that satisfaction was everywhere. And again, if you're a Christian this morning, uh, I wonder if that's still familiar. For me it is that I look for satisfaction elsewhere outside of God. We refuse to acknowledge that our thirst can only be satisfied by God. And God describes this in the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah 2, 13, he says, My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and they have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. In the dry and arid regions throughout the Middle East, people would often build their own cisterns. They're kind of like wells so that they could have access to fresh water to drink. God says that a foundational problem of humanity is that instead of satisfying our thirst in Him, we insist on digging our own cisterns, our own wells, seeking satisfaction elsewhere. But the problem is, as we see in that Jeremiah scripture, that our cisterns, our wells are broken. So they can't hold water. So they can't satisfy 
the thirst of our souls. We dig cisterns which become graves. Cisterns of wealth. How much money is enough, Mr. Rockefeller? To which he responded famously, just a little bit more. Cisterns of superiority, whether that's racial or ethnic or educational or political. Class superiority. Again, whether that's expressed in a fresh new pair of J's or some new name brand clothes, maybe some jewelry and accessories, or zip code superiority, square footage, private school, primary residence, vacation home, and then a vacation home to vacate from the vacation home. Cisterns of sexual exploit. How much sex is enough? Ladies, how much attention satisfies How many fellas have to stare and gawk and hoot and holler before your thirst will be quenched? How many likes does it take to justify all of those selfies? Fellas, how many girls are enough? How many girls do you have to sleep with? Do you have to date? Do you have to chase? Do you have to pursue? Do you have to capture and conquer to be satisfied? How much sex is enough? And if you don't think any of those things respond or uh, apply to you, then this one is probably especially for you. Cisterns of righteous, uh, religious self-righteousness. Cisterns of religious self-righteousness. How hard do you have to work to prove to God that you're worthy, that you're true, that you're real, that you're authentic, that you're sincere, that you're different, different than the rest of all of these sinners? Or different than the bad Christians, the disobedient, flawed, and so pitifully human Christians. What do you have to give up? What do you have to abstain from? Where do you not go to prove yourself to God? What's your new law? What's your 11th commandment? And you would think in in light of all of this, that God would just get fed up. Say, I'm tired of y'all digging cisterns. I'm tired of you trying to be satisfied anywhere other than in, a, in, in union and in fellowship with me. But he doesn't, does he? In fact, it's, it's fascinating to me, as you read the scriptures, it seems that uh, God's attention isn't so much on the sins of men and women. I mean, it's revolutionary when you read that Christ became sin. That in Christ, God was accounting all the wickedness of men and women, and that he longs for us to believe. I think something God understands is that sin is humanity seeking satisfaction. And so, I think he empathizes with it. And he's not, I don't know, irate with us for our shortcomings, our sin. Because in the person of Christ, God has executed punishment for sin and our shortcomings, so he empathizes with us. He doesn't get mad. He doesn't withdraw. In fact, what he does is gives. He gives more of himself, and ultimately he gives him very self, his very self. Because while all people refuse to acknowledge that their thirst can only be satisfied by God himself, God is love. And I preached about this a couple weeks ago. So he gives his one and only son that whoever believes may have eternal life and not perish. Which is what we celebrate each Christmas. That's what Christmas is really about, the incarnation, the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Which brings us to our third insight. You can jot this one down as well. Jesus offers to satisfy the thirst of all the people. That's what's miraculous about the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
is that his intention, the reason that he came, is to satisfy us, our thirst, our longing. There's this beautiful passage in Isaiah 55, and we'll flash it up here on the screen, where God is speaking uh, only at this point to the nation of Israel. And here's how it reads. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy, and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Does that seem a little bit contradictory to y'all? A little bit confusing? Jesus, I mean, really, really radically, he stands up in a meeting probably similar to this, where a bunch of religious people are gathered and they're passing around the scriptures and he grabs it and he opens up the scroll. And this is what he says, referencing this. He stands up in the most uh, religiously educated context that he could. And in John chapter 7 he says, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Do you see the similarity in these two scriptures? And we're just going to leave these up so you can kind of check the similarity between the two. But Jesus is embodying God's call to the nation of Israel. And what he actually does is opens that invitation up to all people, to everyone. He says, I'm God. I am who can satisfy you. Come to me. Jesus offers to satisfy all of the people who came to your mind when you thought about Evansville. Everything that you love about Evansville and everyone that you hate about Evansville. Jesus offers to satisfy those people. All of the people who you pass, again, as you drive and walk on the riverfront and grocery shop and rub elbows and read and criticize people in the paper or on Facebook pages, Twitter accounts. Jesus offers to satisfy those people. Jesus offers to satisfy you. And he offers to satisfy me, my enemies, and my neighbors, Westsiders and Eastsiders, black folk and white folk, Democrat and Republican, poor and wealthy, the obedient and the disobedient, the self-righteous and the self-indulgent and the self-destructive alike. Because Jesus is God incarnate, who is permanently passionate for people. And he offers this satisfaction at no cost. He offers our satisfaction at no cost to us. Did you hear that in these two verses? You who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture said, rivers of living water will flow from within him. So while there's no cost to being satisfied, which satisfaction is ultimately salvation, the salvation of God offered in the person and work of Jesus. While there's no cost, there is a currency. Do you see that? There's a currency in the exchange. What is that currency? Do you see it? It's belief. You're not going to respond to an invitation if you don't believe the inviter. Come, says God, to Israel. Come, says Jesus, to all people. Further, belief in the inviter is the only way one would respond to such a seemingly illogical invitation to come and buy and yet not have any money to buy with. And if you can give me a little bit of creative authority here, that's what a gift is. It's a valuable possession that you pay nothing for. 
It's immensely valuable. It cost someone something. Parents, am I right? And your kids snatch that out of your hands. They don't even say thank you. And then it's sitting on the ground the next morning. But it cost you something. But they got it because you love them. You give it to them. Jesus says, whoever believes, living water will flow from within them. And thankfully, he clarifies what the heck that means uh, in John chapter 4, verse 14. Jesus says, whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. What Jesus offers in, in satisfying our thirst and quenching our longings is eternal life. Jesus says again, the satisfaction that he offers is salvation, eternal life. Have you come in belief to Jesus? He wants to satisfy you. If you choose to today, if you haven't yet believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, and today you choose to, or if you have, in any of the days that have gone by you, chosen to come in belief to the Lord Jesus, I need you to know that you possess the gift of eternal life. You have to know this. The incorruptible, inextinguishable, infallible gift of eternal life. And it costs you nothing to receive it. Do you dig that? Why? Because it cost Jesus everything to procure it for you. And in the same matter, manner that it costs you nothing to receive it, it costs you nothing to maintain it. A believer cannot lose their salvation. Once saved, always saved. Why? How? Can you say such an outrageous thing? Because the costless gift of eternal life was paid for in full, once for all, by the perfect life and the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, the incarnate Son of God, the baby boy who was born all these years ago. Again, I say, and I recall uh, your attention to the initial verses uh, that we say so often at Christmas. Do not be afraid. If we could wipe fear from our experience in the human life, if we could take away fear out of our relationship with God, if we could see that God doesn't want us to be fearful as we read the scriptures, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for who? All of the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. Peace to those on whom his favor rests. When you look in the mirror, do you see yourself as someone on whom the favor of the Lord rests? That is true. Wipe away all those other lies, all that other nonsense that whispers in your ear when you look in the mirror, because that is what is true. This is the scandalous and miraculous and inconceivable gospel of Jesus Christ. The heart of Christmas is the unimaginable good news of the favor of God, sang by the mouths of angels, heard by the ears of men, echoed throughout the halls of history, that God has helped all people in the helpless infant, the Lord Jesus Christ. Providing ceaseless joy and perfect peace through a salvation, which is an incorruptible covenant that is absolutely assured for anyone who believes in the baby boy, Born to die, sent to suffer. As C.S. Lewis wrote, and man, he is so good. Y'all read Lewis? Man, he's so good. The Son of God became man to enable men to become sons of God. What perspective. As I said in the beginning, this serves not only as a good reminder just a couple days past Christmas, but also a good reminder as we're a month of Sundays away moving, uh, from moving into our new building. 
We want to be a church in the city because people are in the city. All kinds of people. We want to be a church for the city because God is for people. All of the people. And the gospel is the good news of what he's done for them in the person and work of his son Jesus. And the gospel is what people need. The gospel is what people are longing for to satisfy themselves. This good news of great joy for all the people on whom God's favor rests is the single reason that we exist. It's the single reason why we get together early when it's raining outside and we're tired and we all rather turn over and stay in bed. That's the single reason why we're here this morning. This good news of great joy for all the people on whom God's favor rests is the single reason that we've been blessed with and we're thankful for God's faithfulness and activity but that little parcel of land over there at 314 Market Street. This good news of great joy for all the people on whom God's favor rests is the single reason that we, the believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, remain on earth while the Lord tarries. That's why we're here, to communicate in word and deed this scandalous and outrageous and really kind of hard to believe good news. That in the person of Jesus, God was not counting men's sins against them, but inviting them to himself to be satisfied. This good news of great joy for all the people on whom God's favor rests is our sole purpose in the city of Evansville. Realize we all got jobs, we all got family. Our purpose is this good news. It's our part in the conversation. What'd you talk about last night? What'd you talk about over Christmas? Is the gospel in your mind? Is the gospel on your lips? It's our purpose. It's the whole of Christianity. The gospel is the fulfillment of the scriptures. The gospel is the absolute apex of God's revelation to men and women. The gospel is not the doorway to Christianity. The gospel is not simply the ABCs of Christianity. It is the A through Z of Christianity. Perspective. Bird's eye view. When you look at it like that, it's beautiful up here. I might shed a tear. This perspective is what we need to take, not only into uh, the new building, not only into our life as a church, we need to take that into our interpersonal relationships, the gospel. We need to take that both into relationships with people who believe and behave, People who believe and do not behave, and people who do not believe. That's the single currency that we have. That's the single talking point that we should be about, is the scandalous and beautiful and miraculous good news of the baby boy sent to suffer, born to die. Perspective. Will you pray with me? Father God, there are so many things that uh, cloud our minds, and fight for our attention, seek to sabotage uh, the joy that we can have in you, uh, the abundance that we do have in you that we possess, whether we realize it or not. We're busy, we're responsible, we have things to take care of, and ultimately we are trapped up in and caught up in uh, the flesh. But you have given us hope. You have given us an anchor. You have given us fellowship with your people. You've given us a a place now. Lord God, I pray that as this year closes out and as a new year begins, an exciting year for uh, City Church, I pray that we would be about uh, the single, solitary gospel of Jesus Christ. That it would be in our minds. That it would be on our lips. It would be in our relationships. 
That we would not seek to hold the sins of men and women against them, but tell them that uh, a Messiah has been born who has carried their sins away, who has taken their sins, who has been crucified for their shortcomings. And that the Son of God became a man so that men could become sons of God. What a joyful and hopeful and encouraging and life-giving reality this morning. How else could you wake up to a Monday morning? Lord God, I thank you for our place uh, in the city of Evansville. Again, we thank you for your activity in our midst, your favor on our behalf, your work on our behalf. We have nothing outside of you. In you, we have everything. Perspective. It's in your name we pray. Amen.